we're in Sukkot, so that's what I'm going to talk about. And as I am fond of saying, you tell me something for 20 years and I catch right on. Sukkot actually explains everything that's going on today in the world. And I'll explain why that is. One of the things that many of you know, who've been around for a while, is that God's appointed times predate the Torah. So if you read Genesis, for example, you find that the covenant with Abraham was made on Passover. Isaac was offered up on the mountain on Passover. So the days that God has set for his Moedim, his appointed times, in fact, predate Moses. And what Moses did is wrote them all down and said, this is what you're supposed to do on those days. But the dates themselves are eternal. So is Sukkot. Let me explain what I mean. If you read Genesis, which you all have many times, one of the things that you discover is when God destroyed the world, where did Noah live? In a tent. So then the next thing that happens is we have the Tower of Babel, where man rises up and tries to ascend into heaven and contend with God. The next thing that happens after that is the call of Abraham. Where did Abraham live? In tents. He is specifically called to come out of his civilization where he lives and go sojourn and live in tents. If you then fast forward to Exodus, you have Israel in the midst of a massive civilization, Egypt. God takes them out of that civilization and destroys the civilization, just like he destroyed the Tower of Babel, just like he destroyed the pre-flood world. And he takes Israel out, and where do they live? In tents. So what I'm suggesting to you is this idea of Sukkot predates the Exodus, and it predates Moses. And there's something fundamental that we can learn from the pattern of Sukkot. And the pattern of Sukkot is man, humanity, people, build these massive civilizations and they get very comfortable in their civilizations. And then at some point, God says, ah, cuts it all down, flattens it, and takes a remnant out and puts them in tents. That's the pattern. By the way, as we were listening to Noah with his marathon reading of Ecclesiastes, one of the things that you'll notice is that the preacher, Solomon, said that all the stuff that's in this world is temporary. That's the message of Sukkot. That everything in the world that you're going through right now is temporary. That's why we read Ecclesiastes during Sukkot, because it matches, if you will, the holiday. So let's look at people. Men, women, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, us. The Jews have an expression they call the Yetzer Hora, which is the evil inclination. You've all heard this, most of you, a long time. Paul says the same thing, and he calls it the flesh. It is, in fact, not evil. It's, in fact, something that God created in us so that we can live in this world.
And as the rabbis are fond of saying, if we didn't have the Yetzirah, nobody would start a family, nobody would start a business, nobody would do much of anything. It's the part of us that cleaves to this world. And it's necessary for us as we go through this part of our lives so that we can function in the world. Now, there's some problems with it, but there are problems that are endemic to the fact that we are in the world. One problem is that the Yetzirah, or the flesh, regards everything as zero-sum. If you get this, that means I can't have it. If you get this, that means that it's not potentially mine. And everything that you have, I can't have. So what I wind up doing is going up and saying, mine, 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 I want this. You've all heard the joke that was popular several years ago. He who dies with the most toys wins. That is a function of the Yetzer Hurrah. That's the thing that enables us to exist in this world. And what God is trying to teach us is there is more to your life than just this world. And what you have to do is you have to overcome the gimme, gimme, gimme impulses of the Yetzer Hurrah, or the flesh, and transcend those and rise above them because the next part of your life you're not going to need it. So Paul, when he argues against the flesh, he says, oh, the things I really want to do are not what I do because the flesh makes me do this. What he's talking about is a function of living in this world and being human in this part of your life, and that part of your life, and your yes or hurrah, leads you to do things that are grasping and greedy and covetous and all that kind of stuff because that's the part of you that's attached to the world. And your job in life as you go through life is to figure out how to keep that little guy under control so he doesn't do anything evil and then be focused forward to the next part of your life. So Ecclesiastes is a treatise on the Yetzirah or the flesh and how to deal with it. That's the whole point. And all this hopeless, hopeless, all this vanity, all that kind of stuff reads like kind of a downer and a bummer. But what it's really saying is you need to get your Yetzirah or your flesh under control. You need to enjoy the life that you have here and you need to then progress on to the next part of your life. There's a key phrase in Ecclesiastes that you've all heard. It's called under the sun. All is vanity under the sun. Well, that's a code phrase for this world that we live in, which is under the sun. The world where we're going is not under the sun. It's different. I was reading Rabbi Sachs several years ago, and one of the things that he said, which I thought was really very profound, is... The Hebrew Bible regards history as going somewhere. In other words, the Bible presents history as something that is going toward a goal. None of the stories wrap up nice and neat and they all live happily ever after. You know, they're always sort of end ambiguously. And the whole point of that is that history, the entirety from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is headed somewhere. That's different than 
pagan understanding, which sees everything as cyclical. And if you look at some of the Eastern religions, your job is to get off the wheel. In other words, live a life so that you don't keep coming back and getting reincarnated. The Hebrew Bible regards it as this part of your life is important, it's preparation for the next part of your life, and the whole thing is moving toward something better. Very different perspective. So let's look at where we are today. In the United States, right now, and let's look at it in the light of what I have just said. Because if you do, what you'll find is that where we are right now makes tremendous biblical sense. And you can understand what's happening. You don't have to be happy about what's happening, understand, because there's a bunch of stuff that you shouldn't be happy about, but you can understand it. And being able to understand it is a great benefit. So, I'm going to go all the way back to the resurrection. And what happens in the resurrection is Yeshua comes back from the grave and he establishes his apostles. And he ships them out and says, all right, go, make disciples of all the world. And so we have you know, the book of Acts and, and the letters where the apostles go out and they start off with the synagogue, first to the Jews. Most of the Jews say, eh, we don't believe this stuff. So then they turn and go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles pick it up like wildfire. And what you wind up having is the establishment of small house churches all over the Mediterranean. Now they would come into the synagogue because that's where the books are. You, you want to study the word of God, you've got to go to the synagogue because that's where they are. So there was lots of mixing and interaction. But as you remember from the book of Acts, one of the things that happens is believing Jews, in other words, Jews that believe in Messiah and believe Yeshua, wants to turn all of the Gentiles into Jews. Remember, the book of Galatians has this question about circumcision. You have the council of Jerusalem. What do we make these Gentiles do? And the Jews wanted to say, hey, Moses says what you got to do with them. You got to turn them into Jews and off we go. So what you have then in Romans is Paul says, all right, you're doing grafting in. And one of the things that you have to do before you graft is you have to make space for the thing you're grafting in. So what happened was the Jews turned away from the gospel message, got broken off, so that there was room then to graft in Gentiles. Now, we know from Ezekiel and all the prophets that God's going to come back and fix that. But approximately, you had to make the church non-Jewish in order to have the Gentiles become Christian. Because otherwise, what would have happened if it had just been Jews, they would have continued Judaism. And you have things like adult circumcision, which is sort of a big deal, and the church wouldn't have grown. So what God did, as Paul says, blinded them for a time so that there would be room for the Gentiles to come in, which is always part of the plan. So anyway, we start with small institutions. And you remember the history of Israel. What would happen is they would get big, they would get comfortable, they would build big institutions, and God would look at them and say, you've lost the script, folks. You're focused on stuff instead of on me 
You have gone into violence, injustice, idol worship, and what God does is sends them down and puts them in sukkahs, sends them into the exile. What happens to Christianity? Same thing. We have institutions start to crop up. You have the Holy Roman Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, massive, big, world-spanning institutions. And what God finally says is, uh, too big, and we get the Reformation. And things get chopped back down to size. Then what happens, and I'm just talking the history of us, how do we get where we are? You have the Reformation, and by the way, the United States was established by the pilgrims who were Calvinists, products of the Reformation. But the other thing that happens during that time is what was called the Enlightenment. And I say the so-called Enlightenment because it wasn't enlightening, it was in fact in darkening. And that was specifically anti-God. Go back to the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was anti-God. Go back to the Flood. The people had gone away from God, gone into violence and idol worship and so forth, and God finally says, no. So what happens is the Yetzer Hurrah, human side of us, is attached to the world and tries to see everything in worldly terms, and you wind up with uh, enlightenment, so-called, which was specifically anti-God. And you get evolution, you get all of that stuff that comes out of there, but you have this massive reservoir of Christianity that we're living on. So what we have is the Industrial Revolution, which is very successful at producing stuff. We are the richest people that have ever existed on the face of the planet. And the way we did it is massive institutions. You have steel mills that cover acres and suck down whole mountains full of coal and whole mountains full of iron. You have massive big organizations. You have the First National Bank. You have the Federal Reserve. You have the Federal Bureau of Investigation. You have the First Episcopal Church. Everything is massive and big and collectivist. Does that sound like the Tower of Babel? Does that sound like the temple system just before they got sanded off flat? Does that sound like massive prosperity that happens just before everything turns evil? Sounds like it to me. And what we're seeing right now is late stage empire in the United States. And you read the Bible and you can see late stage empire in Israel several times and you can see what happens. Now let me take you back one more place, book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. He has this dream. And he sees this massive tall statue with a head of gold and a chest of silver and belly of bronze and legs of iron and feet iron mixed with miry clay. And at the end of it, a rock cut without hands comes and breaks it all down and you have the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. So Daniel explains it to him and says, all right, this is the sequence of how the rest of history is going to go. 
You're the head of gold. You're going to be replaced by the Medes and the Persians or the silver ones. You're going to be replaced by Greece as the bronze one and so forth. So he explains it all to Nebuchadnezzar as this massive, imposing, glorious statue. Fast forward several chapters and God gives Daniel a vision of the same sequence of events. And what God sees instead of this massive, glorious, man-made thing is dangerous animals. These are dangerous beasts. And he lays out the same steps instead of in terms of this glorious statue in terms of dangerous animals. Now, where we are right now, if you read history and so forth, which you all have, I'm sure, is you, of course, had Babylon, which is the head of gold, followed by Medes and Persians, which is silver, followed by Greece, which is the bronze, followed by Rome. And Rome has never really gone away. If you look at Washington and so forth, one of the things that you'll see is all sorts of Roman accouterments. You have justice with the axe, with the reeds around it and so forth. You have the architecture that looks very much like Roman architecture. You know, the pillars and the marble and all that kind of stuff. It looks very much like Rome because it is very much like Rome. And remember the end stage of this. You have the iron, which is strong and breaks up everything that it encounters. And we have the United States that is strong and has broken up everything that has encountered. We bestrode the world, starting in the beginning of the 20th century. Massive, strong, big institutions. And, oh, by the way, one of the things of the big institutions is it wants everybody to be the same and interchangeable. So we set up public schools, and we take our kids, and we put them in an egg crate, and they move between grade to grade as a little pod, and everybody is made the same. That's the whole purpose of public education. All in service of these massive human institutions, which just like every other massive human institution, has become anti-God. So what happened in the United States is Lyndon Johnson back in the 50s set up the 501c3 and churches changed. They become preachers of the state. And so the next thing that happens is prayer gets thrown out of school. We have gay marriage. We have abortion codified. We have the Ten Commandments thrown out of our public space. Remember all those fights? Well, the problem is they weren't really fights because the church never fought. And the reason the church never fought is because the church had become a big institution just like the temple was in Israel before they got sanded off. So where we are now, I believe, is we are at the toes where you have iron mixed with miry clay, partially strong, partially weak. What's happening to the United States right now on our southern border? We're getting the clay coming in. The rest of the world is coming in and they're mixing with us. And what we have is miry clay mixed with iron. 
still very strong, but we are becoming weaker and weaker because we are mixing, if you will, iron and clay. The whole thing about this is Sukkot. So what God does when we get to this place is he says, all right, everybody out of the pool, everybody into tents. So what's happening now is we are in the process of being cut back down to size and we will, metaphorically at least, be living in tents. Just like when Israel got sent into exile by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Romans, they didn't necessarily live in tents literally, but they were living in tents. They were in temporary dwellings. They were in places that were not the land where they were supposed to be. Now, having said all that, let's read a couple of pieces of scripture. 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the whole point of Sukkot is to remind you that this world that you live in right now is not your home. This is not where you're going to be permanently. And if you attach to this and forget God, what it's saying is that is the love of the world. And if you do that, what's going to happen is the world is going to capture you, you will lose track of God, and you will lose track of what he wants to have happen to you, which is to move on to the next phase of your life with him. Now, let me read you another passage of scripture to balance that. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, so these are the ones that God said, everybody out of the pool, you're going to metaphorically live in tents, which is to say you're going to Babylon and you're coming out of here. You're going to leave this massive system that you have created and that has brought you great wealth and so forth, but it has become corrupt. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to knock that down flat and I'm going to send you into Babylon, into tents. You're going to go to Sukkot. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that you may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So, the thing that you are watching right now in Washington and the world, and by the way, it's worldwide, it's not just Washington. China is in every bit as bad shape as we are, as is Europe, as is Britain, as is everybody. Not just us. Australia has switched over to authoritarian fascism in 20 minutes. One of the freest countries in the world. And what you're watching are the death throes of a dangerous beast. 
That doesn't mean that everybody is going to die. What it means is you want to be praying and you want to be seeking the godly good of the place where you are because in seeking the godly good of the place where you are, you yourself will prosper. That's the message to the exiles in Babylon. Notice the exiles in Babylon are going to be there for 70 years. They're not coming back. And in fact, most of them never do come back. So it's not the case that God says, oh, well, I sent you into exile, and well, okay, fine, everything's forgiven, now come on back. That's not what happens. They are in exile, and some of them have been in exile for 3,000 years. So as this stuff is coming apart around you, and I freely admit this place is coming apart, but it's the whole world, it's not just the United States. And what it is, is God is saying, You've built yourself another Tower of Babel. You have created something here which is anti-me, which is destroying the purposes for which I set up the earth. Therefore, it is time to go back into tents. Now, pray for the welfare of the place where you are, Longmont, Boulder, the United States, Colorado, because in its prosperity and good, you will find your own. That's thing one. Thing two is these massive institutions have lost control of information. Most of you are way too young, but it used to be the evening news, Dan Rather or Roller Cronkite would get up and say, that's the way it is. And that was your sole source of information. It was channeled. What's happened now is they have lost control of the information. You have these flash mobs that appear out of nowhere and take down institutions. That's what happened to Egypt during Arab Spring. You had a Facebook group which rose up and said, no, and the Egyptian government fell. That's what happened at Tiananmen Square. That's what's happened at Brexit. That's what happened with the election of Trump. They've lost control of the information. What's happened is people have risen up and said, no. Now, it's important to understand that they are not saying we want something else instead. They are simply saying we don't want that. We don't want Confederate statues. Well, what do you want? I don't know. We just don't want those. So... What it is, is nihilistic and destructive, which is to say, we don't like this, we want it gone. And you have corporations that fold overnight because they wind up destroying the bottom line. Things are churning very, very violently right now in the world, and that's because the elites have lost control of the information. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal my wife was reading to me today. The Wall Street Journal, bastion of big bigness, says, we need to get rid of the FBI. It's become a corrupt sewer. So to have the Wall Street Journal turn to the FBI, the, quote, premier law enforcement agency in the world, and say, this has become a corrupt sewer and we need to get rid of it, that's what I'm talking about. You're seeing the death throes of a violent beast. It's tearing itself apart, which it should. And I admit that it's very upsetting, very troubling, 
etc. To see all of these things that you have depended on all your life wobbling like bowls full of jello. Very disconcerting. I understand that. But understand that this is part of a pattern that goes all the way back to the flood. And we just happen to live right now in a part of it that is very unsteady. And as I say, your job is to seek the good of where you live. And your job is also to talk to people who have no idea what's going on. Because lots and lots of people are terrified right now. Absolutely terrified. Because they see all this instability in the world and they have no idea what's going on because they have lost the script. They don't understand the purpose of the world and they don't understand God's purposes here. And they're terrified. You can help with that. So as you find people and talk to them, understand what's going on, understand what your part of it is, and understand that, yeah, looks like we're going to go live in tents for a while. Okay, so we get to go live in tents for a while. It happened before. Don't know when the last time it's going to happen is. This may be the last shot, or it may not. I got no idea. But get your tent polished up, because that's what's going to happen. <laughs>